Well, we're in our second week of our Christmas playlist uh, series. And, uh, you know, everybody's got a favorite Christmas song, right? Maybe you've got several. Maybe some of yours made the list. Maybe they didn't. And that's okay. You had to narrow them way down, right? I think a lot of people, uh, we've got some of our least favorite Christmas songs, right? Or at least some that are a little bit confusing. When I was growing up in church and every year we'd sing all these songs, some of them kind of struck me as a little bit odd when you really break them down. So I've got a couple quick songs here on my Christmas anti-playlist, um, or at least ones that, that caused me a little bit of trouble when I was growing up. Anybody else here haunted by the carol of the bells? I'm not saying it's a bad song, but I remember growing up and just being kind of a little freaked out because, you know, a, there's that one part where they're like, Merry, 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 Merry Christmas, Merry, 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 and I used to like imagine there were ghosts right outside my window, like, you know, haunting me with that one, I don't know. How about the, the Little Drummer Boy, right? We sing that one. But you ever really take time to look at the words of that song? The ox and lamb kept time. I just want you to picture that, right? We got our drummer back here, Will, and, you know, I don't know if they're back there with a the little metronome or they're, like, doing this thing or, you know, the ox and the lamb kept time somehow. I don't know. Uh, what child is this? That's the one we're focusing on next week, right? But there's a couple obscure verses in that one, some of which uh, use some language that we're not typically allowed to use. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are, like, taking out your phones right now. What are the lyrics to what child is this? You know, so I can remember when I was little at that one part that's coming. That's another word for a donkey. You know what I'm saying? Just belting that one out because I actually had permission to. You know what I mean? Got in trouble for that. That was just last year, by the way. Um. And then you got, you got the classic that uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Right? That sounds all jovial and benevolent, and you're showing up at somebody's door, or like you're having guests into your house, and it starts out with, you know, good tidings we bring to you and your kin, you know, good tidings for Christmas and a happy new year, and it's great. And you're on that level of, yep, here we are, we love you, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and then all of a sudden it changes. Right? You know what I'm talking about. So then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we sang our trite little song. Now bring us some figgy pudding. Now bring us some figgy pudding. Like all of a sudden an uprising starts to happen somewhere along the line where it's like, you know, bring it to us now. We want figgy puddings. We don't even know what the smokes that is, but it doesn't sound very good. But they want it. And then the last verse, they just even go over the line. All of a sudden this is a terrorist exchange. That's going on here. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. Oh. I don't know what kind of revolution these guys are trying to start here at somebody's doorstep, um, but it gets violent, you know? Christmas is it's crazy. It's crazy. But what we're talking about, of course, this morning is this idea of, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Man, we tried to paint the picture a little bit of just this anticipation. And man, when we think about Christmas, that's a word that really comes to a lot of our minds, the idea of waiting. Right? Maybe for some of you, especially if you're younger, the waiting uh, looks like waiting for presents. Right? I can't wait for Christmas Eve or I can't wait for Christmas Day if that's your tradition because I can't wait for all the presents. I'm excited about what I'm going to get. I'm excited about family that's going to come in town or a trip that we're going to go on. And it's like you can't wait. You're counting down the 25 days to Christmas and you're just so excited about that. And then maybe for some, it's more of like the waiting, but it's more like the waiting for it to be over. 
You're not looking forward to it because crazy Aunt Susie's coming into town and she always just wreaks havoc on the family or we got to drive 10 hours and it's just such a hassle and it's just, you cannot wait for it all just to be a distant memory. But I want to bring us here to the book of Luke chapter 2 because this whole idea of waiting truly is what the season is all about. We talk about the idea of Advent, and the term Advent means a waiting for some monumental occasion, something joyous, something exciting. And when we talk about, you know, the church calendar throughout history, and we talk about the Advent season, it's that anticipation of the birth of Christ. Our job here this morning is to enter in to the story of Luke chapter 2, and to recognize and put ourselves in the position of the believers at that time, the nation of Israel at that time, and what they were going through. The first three words of Luke chapter 2 simply say this, in those days. And that's a very powerful statement that we're going to need to unpack here and do a little bit of work on. In those days, the author starts out. Well, we need to recognize that the nation of Israel was in um, a situation where their homeland was occupied. They were under tyranny. And I recently came across a blog from an author who really put it in a pretty incredible way that will give us some perspective this morning. Here's what he says. He says, I have a problem with the Bible. And here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm a comfortable Babylonian. I'm a Roman in his villa. That's my problem. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judean deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman tyranny. I'm a citizen of a superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire. But I want to read the Bible and think it's talking to me. This is a problem. One of the most remarkable things about the Bible is that in it we find the narrative as told from the perspective of the poor, the oppressed, and the enslaved. We know that history is written by the winners. This is true. Except in the case of the Bible, it's the opposite. This is the subversive genius of the Hebrew prophets For they wrote from a bottom-up perspective. And that's huge for us this morning as we begin to dive into this story. As we really get into the nitty-gritty of the shepherds and the angels and the declaration and the proclamation. We need to understand the backstory and the backdrop of what landed them uh, right in the middle of those three words. In those days. We need to recognize that the the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of this, the New Testament of Jesus Christ, of, of Scripture, there was a span of 400 years. I just want to let, let that soak in for a minute. Not, we're not talking about four years where they haven't heard from God. We're not talking about 40 years. 
we're talking about 400 years. Now, they still had the law. They still knew what they were supposed to do. They still had the priests, and they still had their their marching orders. But as far as a direct, fresh revelation from God, like they had in so much of the Old Testament, it was a long, long time. And you can imagine, even for Joseph and Mary, as they're thinking about this great God and hearing all the history of this great God and how he dealt with people, you can just imagine the conversations when they were younger with their dad or with their mom. Like, well, dad, have you ever heard from a prophet? Have you ever heard from God? No, no, haven't. Well, what about grandpa? Did he ever hear from God? What, what, what about great grandpa? Had he ever heard from God? And so at that time, you must have concluded one of three things. Number one, God was dead. Number two, God was angry and just giving you the silent treatment. Or number three, God was planning and orchestrating and preparing to deliver on the promise that had been made from long ago. I want to show you a a brief video here that when we came across, (laughs) to me, um, encapsulated what our whole series has been about. Those of you that are part of our Northwest family since the end of September, beginning of October, we've been in this series called Thread. And it's basically tracing the same story, weaving through the Old Testament in one grand story that all points to Jesus. And to really get the full breadth of the anticipation we need to go through some of that history and and what I'm about to show you just incredibly encapsulates that in a painting and it's and it's really amazing so it's it's put to a song that is so fitting that's called come thou long expected Jesus so I want you to watch this and I want you to think about the history of anticipation check it out
Isn't that cool? That brings it into perspective for us, right? If you're listening at home or part of the podcast, you know, sorry you missed it. Do a YouTube search or something. Should have been here. No, just kidding. But, uh, but man, what, a, what an incredible painting of everything that's going on in anticipation, in preparation for this moment. So here we are in Luke chapter 2. In those days, when all of this was going on, all of this silence, all of this tyranny... It says, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Need to bring some insight as to this little piece right here from verse 1. Register doesn't just mean, oh, here's your social security card. What we're talking about right here, what's going on right here, is it's April 15th. This is tax day. That's what's happening here. The Roman government, everybody needs to go back to their hometown. Bring your money with you, by the way, because everybody is going to be taxed. So talk about your bad news when you get that announcement, right? Some of us here this week, many of us, all of us probably got a little envelope in the mail this week about property values, right? And new information and new taxes for many of us. This is April 15th, and I don't know what that means to you. Maybe you have an accountant. Maybe you do TurboTax. Maybe that's not stress for you. But for many, it's, oh, good heavens, i got to get this done, and I'm collecting receipts, and it's that day, and you know exactly what post office closes at midnight, and you're printing off that last day, and you run out of ink, and you're scrambling. You know what I mean? And it's a bad day because you are owing something that you have to pay. And that's the backdrop of what's going on here. Mary and Joseph were headed back the six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And she's most likely on a donkey and she is great with child. And we see in verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Isn't that like the understatement of the world? Like really, just imagine what all of that looked like, right? Not only do you have to go there to pay money, it's tax day, but uh, honey, the time is here. And there's no hospitals, there's no midwives, there's no obstetrician. It's Mary and Joseph and a baby in a cave among barnyard animals. And it's under that backdrop that this great news, this great king has entered into the world. Now I want to skip down a little bit here to verse 8. It says, now in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And we need to just have a little bit of commentary on this idea of shepherds here. Uh, You know, shepherding is something that all throughout the Old Testament was certainly something that was very dignified. You think about people like David that were shepherds. You think about Moses. You think about so many of the patriarchs, Abraham. They were all involved in shepherding, right? But what you need to recognize is here later on, especially uh, after they spent time in Egypt, the Egyptians despised shepherds. Uh, That was not a dignified job at all. That was a lowly job. You're cleaning up uh, stalls and cleaning up the waste of animals and you're around these unclean animals. So now all of a sudden, this whole idea of shepherding, uh, you know, became a little bit more of this is down and dirty, lower class citizens work, especially the kind of shepherds that they were. Because there's certainly shepherds of, I'm a landowner, I've got sheep and oxen, and that's great, but I'm not really the one that's out there with them. I hire hands to go out and 
take care of them. And so it's not the rich people that own them. I mean, again, in the Old Testament, you see shepherding in a positive light. David talks about shepherding. Psalm 23, you know, God says himself, uh, I am going to uh, give them a shepherd that's after my own heart. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Not talking about the one who cares and loves his sheep and knows his sheep by name. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the hireling. We're talking about the nomads. We're talking about the base rung of society who in the first century of Near Eastern history were not allowed, if they were a shepherd, to enter into a court of law to testify. They weren't trusted. They were also in the religious realm, even in the people of Israel, were not allowed into the inner courts, the inner courts of the temple. You cannot get close to God because you are unclean. You can sing along and you can say your prayers, but you're going to be outside of this gate here. You cannot come in. And it's clear that these were the nomadic shepherds because they're in the same region. They're watching the flocks by night. So these are the ones that are not the owners. These are the ones that are in charge all throughout the night, sleeping there right next to all the livestock, bringing them around nomadically to different Areas, oftentimes stealing other people's livestock, never to be trusted and despised in that culture. And yet it was into that scene, to those people, that God decided it would be fit to be the first ones to bring this grand news. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now I just want to pick apart verse 10 for a moment here. If you've got a pencil with you or a pen or on your device, I encourage you to highlight these key phrases. Because this is going to be everything for us this morning. This is going to be the message this morning. Three key phrases. The first one you see, it says, for, um, it says, I fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I just want you to underline that. Good news. And it's really interesting this week as I was studying, it was almost like I was just percolating with so much good stuff, almost like a giant coffee maker that you start and there's all this hot water coming down over all the, you know, all the coffee. And it's just like I'm, I'm learning all these things and picking out these things and forming these things. And just like with a pot of excellent coffee, when that's finally ready, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for you to try this. So I can't wait to share these things with you this morning. So that first piece, good news. I bring you good news. Number one, we need to recognize that angels, what an angel really means is a messenger. That's what they do all throughout scripture is they give news. They share news. They broadcast news. They're speaking on behalf of God. So these angels are now coming to these shepherds and they say, I have for you some good news. And what's monumental for us this morning is that term, good news, is the term gospel. Some of you maybe remember back in the 70s where there was a Bible that was mass produced and it was just called the good news. Remember that? Well, that's what gospel means, is good news. Here's what we need to recognize. Gospel is not a religious term. In the first century, it was a political term. 
And what it meant was in in the city of Rome and all of their different colonies, they would spread their gospel, their good news all the time through heralds or through messengers. What does an angel mean? Messenger. And they would take the gospel, this good news, and they would go up and down the dirty, dusty streets and they would be shouting out at the top of their lungs, a new emperor has been born, a new king has been crowned, a new law has been passed. Whatever the good news is, that's how they would spread it, is they would shout it out to all the people up and down the streets, through the center of town, and even to the outskirts. Political term. Caesar spreading the gospel. But for us, this is a lot different. And for the angels coming down and sharing this, they said, oh, we've got some good news for you. We've got a gospel for you. And it connects to your relationship up to God the Father. For years, there's been silence. For 400 years, you've been living in your own, living in darkness. But now all of a sudden, there's a new break. We're going to see the culmination of everything else that's been hinted at. And your relationship with God is now going to have the most amazing opportunity to be restored. Let's continue on. It's good news. It's a gospel of what? Great joy. Of great joy. All right? And whereas, you know, um, good news is your relationship with God, great joy is something that's more in, that's something more internal, that's something that's more transformational. Great joy for us. Man, who of us would argue with the fact that if you're truly a believer this morning and if you recognize that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and has done what he said he's done for us, that Christians should not be the most joyful people that exist on this planet. Amen to that? You should be the happiest people on your block. You should be the most excited person in your cubicle, in your hallway, at work, on your team. There should be something different about us. And these shepherds, you know, they're just there. They're lowly. They're not respected. They're just dirty and grimy and smelly. And all of a sudden, they're getting this message, this gospel that says, oh, by the way, I've got something coming that's going to give you great, great joy. Well, what is that thing? We just talked about it in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I should underline that phrase, Christ the Lord. And the reason I'm having you do that and thinking about that and highlighting that, that is the only time that phrase is used in this, um, in this setting, in that exact verbiage in the entire New Testament. And it meant something especially significant to to the Jewish people. Why? Well, because Christ carries along the idea of Messiah. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what all the prophecies have pointed to. It is Christ, the Messiah. And the other piece of it, Lord, has to do with a master. So now we have a Messiah and we have a master in this little baby. Both those things. Why is that important to the shepherds? Well, because they were in tyranny. They are lost. They are searching. They need a Messiah. They need a Savior. The people need to be rescued. So this news of a Messiah is incredible. And this news of a master is incredible as well. 
Because for many, they had been the masters of their own destiny. They had been doing their own things, and it wasn't working out. So now, to have somebody who's not only the Messiah, but also the master of my life, guiding, leading, directing, propelling, is incredible news. Here's the last piece that we see. It's great joy that will be for all people. Great joy that will be for all people. So we're not talking about, oh, this is just for the nation of Israel anymore. Even in the Old Testament, he was the God of the world, and it was, he was known as the God of Israel, and other people still got in on it. But now all of a sudden, this is being broadcast in a much different light. And there's an invitation here, and there's the perspective of out as well. So it's not just up your relationship with God. It's just not internally that idea of joy, but it's also out to the nations where we recognize that here everyone is invited. And that is such an incredible, joyful thought for us this morning. You think about the life of Christ and you think about Isaiah chapter 61. You remember when he went back to Nazareth and he opened up the scroll and he started reading that incredible passage that said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to to break the, the, the chains of those who are oppressed and to loose the chains of those that where there's injustice. And Jesus is saying, I came to do that. When you talk about the world and you talk about where we live and how we are the emperor, we're living in the villa, we're living in comfort. Jesus is saying, oh, you know what? It goes way beyond American Christianity. I'm going and I'm inviting everybody to this party. And man, they recognize here at this time how broken they were, how needy they were, how in need of a Messiah they were, how in need of a Lord they were. And for us, the burden is that, you know what? I'm all right. I'm comfortable. I've got clothes and food and a house and joy and pleasure. But how faint and how shallow do we see that all of those expectations typically are when we want to be satisfied and we're hoping for this thing that's going to come, this present that's going to be there. Or maybe this year the family Christmas is going to be different and then we hit December 26 or we hit January 2nd or we hit a month later and we're like, no, not satisfying. This great news, this message, this gospel is one that everybody's invited to. So I don't know where that lands on you this this morning, but... For the shepherds, it landed on them in a pretty incredible way. An unbelievable way. You skip down here a little bit to verse 15. It says, And then when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You can just imagine a Captain Obvious shepherd, right? Because they just had this experience in the angels and a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord is born. He's a baby. He's in Bethlehem. Okay, there they go. One of them's like, hey guys, um, I want to make a motion. I know it's pretty exciting to stay here with all the sheep and everything, but uh, what do you say? I mean, if you want, maybe we can just kind of head on over and maybe see. Of course that's what we're going to do, right? Notice it says over here in verse uh, 16, and they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Notice verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them. 
concerning this child. So here we've got another amazing hint. In verse 15, the end of verse 15, it says, let's go uh, and see this incredible thing which the Lord has made known to us. And then in verse 17, it says, when they saw it, they made known that same message, that same gospel to others. What was the response? Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So you talk about the idea of good news. And I just want to throw out Northwest Community Church family or visitors with us here this morning. If you belong to Jesus, I just want to ask you this question. What gospel are you sharing? If gospel just means good news, which is what it means, what gospel are you sharing? If you belong to Jesus and we were sit down with people at your workplace or in your family or on your block and say, hey, what really gets them going? What gets them excited? What are they excited about? Oh man, it's their new car, it's their new boat, it's their new job, or it's the accomplishments of their kids, or it's just, you know, what are the things that you're constantly broadcasting and sharing and shouting out to people about your affections and about your satisfactions? Is it a sports team? Or is it the savior of the world? Because we're all broadcasting something. And the reason we wanted to use this as kind of a little bit of a motif here as a record player is because you think about the setup of this gramophone picked up on eBay, by the way. And you think about the idea that what's sitting on here right now is a masterpiece Of sorts. Again, disclaimer, we don't know what's on all these records. But we know that it's something that was produced, something that was written, something that's got harmonies and melodies, and it's and it's and it's done and it's crafted, it's orchestrated, it's burned on there, and it's sitting right here. And I can crank this thing up and I can turn this thing on. But one of the most important pieces of this gramophone right here cost about two cents. And it's this tiny little needle right there. There's a whole case of 20 of them in here. But without that tiny little seemingly worthless needle, you're not going to hear the beauty or the orchestration of what's on here. And I just want to submit to you this morning, when we talk about the shepherds and how God chose the lowly how God chose the unworthy, the mistrusted, and the distrusted. He said, I want you to be my needle. I want you to be the tool that I use to broadcast this good news of great joy for all people. And so I'm wondering here this morning if maybe we need a little bit of recalibration. Number one, I don't know what record is even on your player, right? It could be the record of self. It could be my accomplishments. It could be my looks. It could be my clothes. It could be everything, and that's what I'm broadcasting about, about how great I am. Maybe that's the one that's playing in your house. Maybe it's something else, but man, I'll tell you what. When we think about this gospel, we think about this good news, this is the message that we need to be going up and down our streets, shouting and yelling and broadcasting and letting everybody know that they're invited. And you think about the great joy. I mean, man, what, what kind of passion rises up in you when you think about what God's done for you? 
I think all throughout scripture, I mean, you think about the situation with the mat and the leper, and, and when Jesus healed him, he got up and it says, he started just leaping up and jumping and he wouldn't stop. Just imagine what that looked. Imagine that passion jumping up and down in the temple and everybody's like, what a commotion this guy's doing. What's going on? What, what happens? He was so filled with joy because somebody named Jesus touched his life and healed him. So what kind of gospel are we proclaiming this morning? A couple just closing thoughts here as the band comes out and we prepare to respond. A couple questions for you. Number one, have you even experienced this good news? Right? These are the application questions. All right, we've dove into scripture. What now? Have you ever even experienced this good news? I think that's a legitimate question. Maybe you're visiting with us. Maybe you've been around church for your whole life. But man, you've never really come to grips with what it means to be one of God's children, to be ushered into his family, and to recognize that this greatest gift was God sending his son to the world to live a perfect life so that he could die and his blood would cover all of our sins. Maybe you've never entered into that before. What about this one? Have you responded to that good news? Do you believe? Are you rejoicing? Have you responded? Is that an action in your life? How about this one? Have you made known this message? The shepherds went out and people were astonished. People were amazed. When's the last time somebody was amazed or astonished because of what you were saying to them? And the last one, have you considered what it means, the concept of Emmanuel, God with us? Who would have thought, who would have thought for the shepherds, the ones who were dirty and working in darkness, they were visited by the ones who are holy and living in light? Who would have thought the ones who were spending their lives attending to livestock in a field would be ministered to and communicated to by ones who spend their time attending to the God of heaven? This was the day, tax day, where Mary and Joseph were coming to the realization of what they owed. And who would have thought this would be the day that God gave them something a gift that we can't repay. And who would have thought those who were watching the lambs out in a field are undoubtedly hearing the news of the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. That's where it all connects. And this morning, our prayer is that we would recognize Emmanuel, God with us. Not distant, not aloof, not angry, But the book of John talks about he came and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh. One author put it this way. God moved in to our neighborhood. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, we know that he's here with us. And truly, he's residing within us. May we rely on him to be the power so that we can be used as a tiny little minuscule tool to broadcast this message to the nations.